And welcome to tonight's Zoomcast on Isaiah 54, Isaiah's prophecy, Jehovah's unfaithful wife returns. And tonight I'll be using the Isaiah Institute's translation of Isaiah. Starting in verse 1, sing, O barren woman who did not give birth, break into jubilant song, you who were not in labor. The children of the deserted wife shall outnumber those of the espoused, says Jehovah. Now in Isaiah, there are two wives. The first is the unfaithful wife that Jehovah married in her youth. And because of her unfaithfulness, they got a divorce. And the second is the current wife who also proves unfaithful and who in like manner to the first unfaithful wife is put away and then Jehovah takes back the faithful wife. Now, Isaiah chapter 50 verses 1 and 2 is a cross-reference. Thus says Jehovah, where is your mother's bill of divorce with which I cast her out? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Surely by sinning you have sold yourselves. Because of your crimes is your mother cast off. Why was no one there when I came? Why did no one answer when I called? Was my hand too short to redeem you? Have I no power to deliver? By a mere rebuke I dry up the sea. Rivers I turn into desert. Their fish become parched for lack of water and perish because of thirst. Now, the youthful bride that Jehovah wed in her youth who became unfaithful. Let's cross-reference DNC 84. Verse 23. Now this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. But they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore the Lord in his wrath for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory. For it is the privilege of God's people in every generation in which the fullness of the gospel is on the earth to enter into his rest, which rest is the fullness of his which rest is the fullness of his glory. Now, entering into the rest of the Lord is more than seeing Christ in vision, and it's even more than having Christ come down to this earth and visit us here. Entering into the rest of the Lord is to have an ascension experience like Moses had in Moses chapter 1, or like Nephi had in First Nephi chapter 11, where Moses and Nephi go up to the high mountain, which is not an earthly mountain, but the heavenly mountain where they entered into the rest of the Lord. And the children of Israel anciently by rejecting the new and everlasting covenant, even that of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is what sanctifies a man, a woman, or a people preparatory to entering into the Lord's rest and qualifies a person to receive that level of revelation to be instructed about how to enter into the rest of the Lord. And this is how Israel anciently became the unfaithful wife. 
And this is also how in Joseph Smith's first ministry, the members of the church also became the unfaithful wife. For a few verses later in DNC 84, verse 53, and by this you may know the righteous from the wicked, and that the whole world groaneth under sin and darkness even now. And your minds in time past have been darkened because of unbelief and because you have treated lightly the things that you have received, which vanity and unbelief have brought the whole church under condemnation. And this condemnation resteth upon the children of Zion even all. And they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant, even the Book of Mormon. There is actually a scribal error in verse 57. There's one word that has been left out, and it's in. It should say even in the Book of Mormon. For a covenant with God is comprised of two oaths. There's an oath that man makes to God, and an oath that God makes back to man. And the oath that we are to make to God, and the oath that God makes back to us is contained in the Book of Mormon, is found in 3 Nephi chapter 9. The first part of verse 20. And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and contrite spirit. Well, this sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit is man's oath to God. And it is our side of the new and everlasting covenant. And at a bare minimum, offering up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit means that we're willing to place everything upon the altar. But specifically and individually, we are to receive, we are to seek after and receive by revelation those things that God would instruct us to do individually to offer up this sacrifice. And when we have sufficiently hearkened to the voice of the Spirit in following the instruction to offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, then the promise is that Christ will baptize us with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Continuing in verse 20. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. This is the new and everlasting covenant in the Book of Mormon. And it's the very covenant that the children of Israel rejected anciently. Going back to DNC 84, verse 23. Now, this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel. Now, what did Moses teach to the children of Israel? It was designed to sanctify his people to enter into the rest of the Lord. Well, it was the new and everlasting covenant. That they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because the hardening of the heart, which we read in verse 24, but they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence, is the refusal to offer up as a sacrifice a broken heart and contrite spirit. And therefore, the children of Israel and the early saints under Joseph would not receive that very sanctification that would have allowed them that at a future time to enter into the rest of the Lord. And thus they rejected their God. Continuing in DNC 84 verse 57. And they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant, even in the book of Mormon and the former commandments, which I have given them, not only to say, but to do according to that which I have written. So, it's easy to say, Father, I offer up my sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. 
The difficult part and where most people fall down is when he tests us to see if we draw near to him with our lips only, but not our hearts. So drawing near unto Christ with our hearts is showing him with our actions that we offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. Now, once we do, Christ then will plead our case before Father. And once he receives permission from Father to adopt us as sons or daughters, then is the ordinance of baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost authorized to be performed. Several things happen during this sanctification. First, the Gentile blood is burned out of us as we become blood Israel. Second, that physical change required to take place in our bodies and our spirits so that a future time we can enter into the rest of the Lord without dying, it takes place. We are officially adopted as sons or daughters of Jesus Christ. Before the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, we can covenant that we are willing to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ, but we can't actually do that until he extends his name to us. And despite what most of us were taught all of our life, we do not receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, when we're confirmed a member of the church. It's only the divine admonition to then go forth and do what is required of us that we might receive this endowment of power. And the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is the endowment of power for which the Kirtland and Nauvoo temples were built. It was the endowment of power that the elders were to receive before they were sent out. It's just that most of them, like the children of Israel, would not do what was required of them, and so they never received this endowment of power. Now, as far as putting away the wife in her youth espoused to Jehovah, in C84, verse 24, but they hardened their hearts, talking about the children of Israel. And it's equally applicable to the Latter-day Saints under Joseph Smith's ministry. And could not endure his presence. Therefore the Lord in his wrath for his anger was kindled against them. Swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness which rest is the fullness of his glory. Therefore he took Moses out of their midst and the holy priesthood also. What order of the holy priesthood is being talked about? Well, the same one that's being referred to in verse 19 of Dionysi 84. The first order of Melchizedek priesthood. And this greater priesthood, verse 19, administereth the gospel, being distinguished from the Aaronic priesthood of verse 18. And holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. The ordinances of this order of the priesthood is supervising or performing baptism of water. And then performing the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost which is the power of godliness being manifest unto men in the flesh, or at least the reception of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is the power of godliness being made manifest. And verse 21, and without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. So, in verse 25, when it says, Therefore, he took Moses out of their midst and the holy priesthood also. 
the holy priesthood that he's taking is this first order of Melchizedek priesthood. Therefore, the children of Israel were not able to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost um, at that time until there would be a restoration of the fullness of the gospel, meaning that a man again would be ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood, the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, which for Joseph Smith is when he opened a dispensation of the fullness of the gospel. After Peter, James, and John visited Joseph Smith and laid their hands upon him and ordained him to this order of the priesthood, as soon as it was, a, as soon as it was sealed upon him, a new dispensation of the fullness of the gospel was opened. Just like when Moses had this order of the priesthood sealed upon him, it opened a new dispensation and was a preparatory step in him being sent to Pharaoh to gather out the children of Israel. Verse 26, and the lesser priesthood continued, which priesthood holdeth the key of the ministering of angels and the preparatory gospel. So, you know, this is the putting away of the young espoused wife who was unfaithful. And this is the first putting away of the young espoused wife. The second putting away of the young espoused wife comes um, in 1835 when Christ takes his name out of the church and the official name of the church it goes from the church of Christ to the church of Latter-day Saints. And the warning of that event is given here in DNC 84. Starting in verse 57 again, and they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant, even the book of Mormon and the former commandments, which I have given them not only to say, but to do according to that, which I have written for they must bring forth fruit meat for their father's kingdom. Otherwise there remaineth a scourge and judgment to be poured out upon them. So bringing forth fruit meat for their father's kingdom is the reception of the baptism of fire, baptism of the ghost. It is the power of godliness being manifest unto men in the flesh. It's receiving that sanctification whereby God's people might receive the instruction about how to enter into the rest of the Lord in this life. And thus he becomes their God and they become his people. Now the scourge and judgment to be poured out upon the children of Zion or the early saints starts in May 1834, when Christ takes his name out of the church. And if you look at the 1835 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants, you'll see Church of Latter-day Saints. If you look at the inscription above the Kirtland Temple, it says Church of the Latter-day Saints built 1834. If you will, um, even if we go to the current Doctrine and Covenants, if we go to the preface, all right, the second page of the explanatory introduction, the last paragraph before the testimony of the 12 apostles to the truth of the book of Doctrine and Covenants. Toward the end, it says, as the Lord continued to communicate with his servants 
an enlarged compilation was published two years later in Kirtland, Ohio, with the title Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Now, this wasn't the culmination of the scourge and judgment talked about in DNC 84, but it was the beginning of the scourge and the judgment. For the Lord still extended his hand to the early saints and gave them chance after chance after chance to repent and return and receive everything back that had been taken from them, even the Melchizedek priesthood and the fullness of the gospel. Now the Melchizedek priesthood wasn't taken from those in the holy order with Joseph, but that was only a handful of men and never included Brigham Young, John Taylor, or Wilfred Woodruff. So all of those who were not true and faithful with Joseph in the Holy Order lost the first order of Melchizedek priesthood in May 1834. And it was in Nauvoo that the Lord gave the saints their last opportunity to repent and return and receive back everything that had been taken from them. So if we go to DNC 124, starting in verse 28, and the situation is, the Lord said, if you repent and return, I will restore everything to you. And the sign that I will give to you that I have accepted your sacrifice and your repentance is that you will finish the Nabu temple in the time that I have allotted for its completion. But if not, you will stand rejected as a church with your dead, thus saith the Lord your God. Now, the Lord also said that if you repent and return, I will fight your battles and you will not be driven out of Nauvoo. So starting in verse 28, and there is not a place found on earth that he may come to and restore again that which was lost unto you or that which he hath taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. All right. The fullness of the priesthood is the exact same thing as in DNC 84. Verse 25, therefore he took Moses out of the midst and the holy priesthood also. This order of the priesthood is defined in verse 19, this greater priesthood, first order of Melchizedek priesthood, the power and authority to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Verse 29 in DNC 124, for a baptismal font there is not upon the earth, that they, my saints, may be baptized for those who are dead. For this ordinance belongeth to my house, and cannot be acceptable unto me only in the days of your poverty, wherein ye are not able to build a house unto me. But I command you, all ye my saints, to build a house unto me, and I grant unto you a sufficient time to build that house unto me. And this sufficient time was during the life of Joseph Smith. And during this time, your baptisms shall be acceptable unto me. But behold, at the end of this appointment, your baptisms for your dead shall not be acceptable unto me. And if you do not these things at the end of the appointment, ye shall be rejected as a church with your dead. Thus saith the Lord your God. Verse 33. For verily I say unto you that after you have had a sufficient time to build a house unto me, wherein the ordinances of baptizing for the dead belongeth, and for which the same was instituted from before the foundation of the world, your baptisms for your dead cannot be acceptable unto me. And then in verse 45, and if my people will hearken unto my voice and unto the voice of my servants, whom I have appointed to lead my people, behold, verily I say unto you, they shall not be moved out of their place. Now, was the Nauvoo Temple ever completed? 
during Joseph Smith's lifetime. It was not. Was it ever completed? Period. It was not. Although there were seven different temple dedications carried out on the Nauvoo Temple, the first one being on the attic, the next ones being the next five being on various portions of the Nauvoo Temple, the last one being on the entire temple, it was never finished. But it was a moot point because the time had passed. And so the saints had now reached the full measure of scourge and judgment that they were warned about in 1832 in DNC 84. And we were demoted as the Latter-day Saints, one level below the preparatory gospel to the rejected as a church with your dead order of the gospel. And instead of fighting our battles, we were smitten and driven. You know, however, this was all prophesied. DNC 101 gives the parable of the redemption of Zion. In fact, in the very first verse, verse 43 of DNC 101, the parable of the redemption of Zion, there are three things that are implicit. One, that Zion would be established during Joseph Smith's ministry. Number two, can you redeem something that doesn't fall or has been ransomed? No. So two is that Zion would fall. And that is the second fulfillment in Isaiah of Christ putting away the unfaithful wife in her youth. And the third thing implicit in the title of the parable of redemption of Zion is that Zion would be redeemed. And as outlined in that prophecy, before Christ comes in his glory, that Joseph would return to finish the restoration, gather out the strength of the Lord's house, as they are called, or those among the Latter-day Saints, and really all those of the various restoration branches who have eyes to see, ears to hear, and would accept the fullness of the gospel, meaning the sacrifice of a broken contract spirit, doing whatever is required to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then continuing onward to do what was required to enter into the Lord's rest. This is the strength of the Lord's house, and would be gathered out on an end-time exodus as is described in DNC 103, which exodus would culminate in the establishment of New Jerusalem, from which there would be those who would be sent out under Joseph's direction to finish the gathering of Israel from the four corners of the earth. And it is this portion of the strength of the Lord's house among the Latter-day Saints and all of those of the various restoration branches who would receive the fullness of the gospel, this is the unfaithful wife of the youth returning to her husband, even Jehovah. And to the unfaithful wife who now becomes the faithful wife in Isaiah, everything is restored and everything is given to her. Now, Isaiah chapter 1 is another cross-reference.
verses 21 through 28. How the faithful city has become a harlot. Now, there are also two cities. Um, well, there are more cities in Isaiah, but there is a faithful city who's become a harlot, and there is a city who is redeemed. And these are parallels to the unfaithful wife who becomes the faithful wife and the current espoused wife who commits adultery and is divorced by the Lord. So how the faithful city has become a harlot, referring both to the children of Israel under Moses and to the Latter-day Saints under Joseph for rejecting the new covenant in the Book of Mormon. How the faithful city has become a harlot. She was filled with justice. Righteousness made its abode in her, but now murderers. Now, righteousness in Isaiah is a metaphor for the Lord's end-time servant, the return of Joseph Smith, or for a period during his first ministry, there were saints who were faithful, but now murderers. And that is a cross-reference. Moroni sees the exact same time period. And he cries out to the Latter-day Saints. And in Ether, chapter 8. Wherefore, O ye Gentiles, meaning members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, wherefore, O ye Latter-day Saints, it is wisdom in God that these things should be shown unto you that thereby you may repent of your sins and suffer not these murderous combinations shall get above you, not talking about in political office, talking about in ecclesiastical office. Exactly as Isaiah is saying in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 21, how the faithful city has become a harlot. She was filled with justice, righteousness made its abode in her, but now murderers. Wherefore, O ye Latter-day Saint Gentiles, his wisdom in God that these things should be shown unto you, that thereby ye may repent of your sins and suffer not these murderous combinations shall get above you, which are built up to get power and gain, and the work even the work of destruction come upon you. Yea, even the sword of the justice of the eternal God shall fall upon you to your overthrow and destruction, if ye shall suffer these things to be. So in verse 23, Moroni says, O Latter-day Saints, do not let this happen to you and the LDS church. But in verse 24, Moroni says, but when it does. Wherefore the Lord commandeth you, when ye shall see these things come upon you, that ye shall awake to a sense of your awful situation, because of the secret combination which shall be among you, or woe be unto it because of the blood of them who have been slain. For they cry from the dust for vengeance upon it, and also upon those who built it up. For it cometh to pass that whosoever build, buildeth it up seeketh the overthrow, seeketh to overthrow the freedom of all lands, nations, and countries. And it bringeth to pass the destruction of all people. For it is built up by the devil who is the father of all lies, even that same liar who beguiled our first parents. Now, Nephi saw this same time period. And he also cries out to the Latter-day Saints regarding the exact same thing. 
in 1 Nephi chapter 14 during Nephi's vision of the end from the beginning. And in 1 Nephi chapter 14, verse 1, And it shall come to pass that if the Gentiles, if the Latter-day Saint Gentiles, shall hearken unto the Lamb of God in that day, in the day in which the end-time servant would return on the scene and open again the heavens, that it might be possible again to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is also prophesied in DNC 45. Verse 28, and when the time of the Gentiles is come in, or in that day when Joseph would return in a second ministry, before the coming of second coming of Jesus Christ to finish the restoration, before he comes on the scene, he would open again the heavens, and it would again be possible to enter into the new and everlasting covenant, receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and enter into the rest of the Lord. And when the time of the Gentiles is come in, and we are living in that time right now, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness. Well, who is it that the Lord is prophesying are sitting in darkness at this time? Well, it's the members of the church. It's the Latter-day Saints. And it shall be the fullness of my gospel. When was the last time in general conference or at state conference or ward conference or in priesthood meeting did you hear those in authority, telling you about how they came to offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit. How that led to them receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and describing what it was like to have that experience. And exhorting the members of the church that we also must enter into this same covenant, that we must offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contract spirit and defining exactly what that is and how we should go about doing that. And that we also need to seek after and receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that we might be instructed to enter into the rest of the Lord. When was the last time that we have a clear witness of entering into the Lord's rest except for Joseph Smith? But this is the doctrine of Christ. This is the very foundation of the gospel. And because these things are not happening, we are the ones who have been sitting in darkness, as it says in DNC 45. Verse 29. But they receive it not talking about the members of the church collectively, but not individually. Now, notice that this is in future tense prophecy not having to do with Joseph Smith's first ministry, but his second. But they receive it not, for they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. And in that generation shall the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So just as an additional check, that we know exactly the time that this prophecy is in regards to, and that did not pertain to Joseph Smith's first ministry. The time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled in the same generation in which the time of the Gentiles comes in. Well, the time of the Gentiles being fulfilled is when there's the separation of the wheat and the tares among the members of the church and all the different branches of the restoration. The tares are destroyed and the wheat are physically gathered out for an end time exodus. 
And verse 31, and there shall be men standing in that generation that shall not pass until they shall see an overflowing scourge for a desolating sickness shall cover the land. Now going back to 1 Nephi chapter 14. And it shall come to pass that if the Gentiles, the Latter-day Saints, shall hearken unto the Lamb of God in that day, that day in which the time of the Gentiles is coming in, the generation in which we now live. He shall manifest himself unto them in word and also in power. Well, what does this mean, manifesting them unto them in word and also in power? Well, <clears throat> this means the same thing as we read in DNC 84 about the power of godliness being manifest unto men in the flesh. And you know, a quote regarding the power of godliness being manifest unto men in the flesh. This is from the Millennial Star, number four, August 1843, page 60. In the renewal of the covenant, the new and everlasting covenant, with the children of men, there are many subjects of great interest to the saints and of unspeakable value. But the gift of the Holy Ghost, or the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, stands preeminently distinguished as the greatest gift that man could receive or deity bestow. The possession of this gift which is the power of godliness, is what constitutes the special difference between the church of the living God and the multitude of systems that have originated through the will of man. So in that day that he, Christ, will manifest himself unto the Latter-day Saint Gentiles, the Latter-day Saints, in word and also in power, that they are again having the opportunity, or again, have the opportunity to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Unto the taking away of their stumbling blocks. Well, what are the stumbling blocks of the Latter-day Saints? Well, it was the removal of the doctrine of Christ from the mainstream teachings of the church. The doctrine of Christ being repentance, baptism by water by the Melchizedek priesthood, the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and entering into the rest of the Lord. This is the stumbling block that became the Gentiles and also all manner of false traditions creeping into the tradition of the church and being established as doctrine. And harden not their hearts, verse two in 1 Nephi 14, against the Lamb of God being the opposite of a broken heart and contrite spirit. They shall be numbered among the seed of thy father. Well, why is that? Because at the time of the baptism of fire, baptism of the ghost, the Gentile blood is burned out of us, and we become blood Israel. Yea, they shall be numbered among the house of Israel, and they shall be a blessed people upon the promised land forever. They shall no more be brought down into captivity, and the house of Israel shall no more be confounded. Now, this goes along with Ether, chapter 8, verse 25. Referring back to Ether 8, verse 25, for it come to pass that whose it cometh to pass that whosoever buildeth up, buildeth it, the secret combination, seeketh to overthrow the freedom of all lands, nations, and countries. And it bringeth to pass the destruction of all people, for it is built up by the devil who is the father of all lies, even that same liar who beguiled our first parents. 
So going back to First Nephi 14, talking about this same uh, organization. And that great pit, which hath been digged for them, them being the Latter-day Saints. This is First Nephi 14, verse 3, as was just defined in verses 1 and 2. By that great and abominable church. Well, the direct implication is that by this time, there had been a conjunction between the great and abominable church and ecclesiastical leadership. And that ecclesiastical leadership of the Latter-day Saints was specifically digging a pit to destroy the Latter-day Saints. That great and abominable church, which was founded by the devil and his children, that he might lead away the souls of men down to hell. Yea, that great pit which hath been digged for the destruction of men shall be filled by those who digged it. Unto their utter destruction saith the Lamb of God, not the destruction of the soul, save it be the casting of it into that hell which hath no end. So how does this pit get filled by those who digged it? Well, let's go back to the parable of the redemption of Zion in DC, DNC 101 regarding the establishment, fall, and redemption of Zion. So verse 55, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants. Now, verse 55 is the reversal of circumstances. Verses 43 through 46 are a prophecy about the establishment of Zion during Joseph Smith's first ministry. Verses 47 through 54 recount and prophesy how Zion would fall. Verses 55 through 66 give an account of how Zion would be redeemed. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, who is the servant? Well, it tells us both in DNC 103 and DNC 105. DNC 103, verse 21, verily, verily, I say unto you that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. is the man to whom I liken the servant, to whom the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable which I've given unto you. The Lord of the vineyard being introduced in verse 44 of DNC 101, a certain nobleman had a spot of land very choice. This nobleman is the Lord of the vineyard being referred to in verse 21. And so, back in DNC 101, verse 55, the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, Joseph Smith Jr., who hasn't been on the scene in over 175 years, go and gather together the residue of my servants. Who are these other servants? Well, they're the same referred to in DNC 88 as the first laborers in the last kingdom, who were to prepare to come a second time. Go gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of mine house, which are my warriors, my young men. They that are of middle age also among my servants who are the strength of mine house. Save those only whom I have appointed to tarry. Well, who's been appointed to tarry? Translated beings like the three Nephites and John the Revelator because John the Revelator has charge over translated beings. And here is where the destruction and the filling of the pit commences for those who dug it or by those who dug it to entrap and drag the Latter-day Saints down to hell. And go ye straightway unto the land of my vineyard. This is verse 56 in DNC 101. For it is mine, I have bought it with money. Or in other words, 
I have engraven my people upon the palms of my hand. My people being those who will enter into and keep covenant with me. For in the garden of Gethsemane, Christ said, Father, I pray not for the world, but for those whom thou hast given me out of the world, that they might be one with us. Well, who is it that the Father has given Christ out of the world? It's those who become his sons and daughters by entering into the new and everlasting covenant and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy, of the Holy Ghost. Verse 57 in DNC 101. Therefore, get ye straightway unto the land of, unto my land. Break down the walls of mine enemies. Okay, this breaking down the walls of the enemies, scattering their watchmen, is the filling of the pit with those who digged it in First Nephi chapter 14, verse 3. Throw down their towers, scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of my servants or the residue of mine house and possess the land. Again, touching upon these enemies. Let's go to verse 48. Let's go to verse 47. The portion of the parable of the redemption of Zion in which Zion falls. And while they, the original servants of God, were yet laying the foundation thereof, of the vineyard or of the restoration, they began to say among themselves, and what need hath my Lord of this tower? Well, what is the tower? The tower is the apostolic charge that Oliver Cowdery gives to the newly called 12 apostles, the church office of apostle in 1835 in the demoted preparatory church, the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Oliver Cowdery said, and I'm paraphrasing, you have come this far based on other men's testimonies. Now, you must part the veil, see the face of God, and be ordained by Jesus Christ. Or in other words, you must seek after receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and enter into the rest of the Lord. This is building the tower, which requires a lifetime of dedication and service to God. So instead of building the tower, verse 47, and while they were yet laying the foundation thereof, therefore they began to say among themselves, what need hath my Lord of this tower? And consulted for a long time, saying among themselves, what need hath my Lord of this tower, seeing this is a time of peace. This sentiment was echoed by Joseph Smith when he talked to the Relief Society toward the end of his ministry. When he told them, your minds have been darkened because you have relied too much upon me and have neglected your own relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, was the problem that they had heard too many of his sermons or uh, had interacted too much with Joseph? No, that wasn't the problem. The problem was that they were not putting into practice the very things that he was teaching. They were not living the doctrine of Christ, and that was the problem. And it was the same thing with these early servants, which continue down to our day. And it gets even worse in verse 49. Might not this money be given to the exchangers? For there is no need of these things. Well, the exchangers are Babylon. 
Money in this parable means the exact same thing that it means today. It's a store of work and effort and attention and focus. So instead of investing their work and effort and attention and focus in building the tower or in ascension, in the doctrine of Christ, seeking after and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Ghost, and entering into the rest of the Lord, being ordained by Jesus Christ, they turn their time and effort and attention to Babylon. Verse 50, and while they were yet at variance one with another, they became very slothful, and they hearkened not unto the commandments of their Lord. And the enemy came by night and broke down the hedge, and the servants of the noblemen arose and were affrighted and fled. And the enemy destroyed their works and broke down the olive trees. Okay, the olive trees in this parable are the members of the church. Now behold, the nobleman, the Lord of the vineyard, called upon his servants and said unto them, Why? What is the cause of this great evil? Ought ye not to have done even as I commanded you? And after ye had planted the vineyard, built the hedge round about. So the hedge would be the members of the church entering into the new and everlasting covenant, living the doctrine of Christ themselves. For if both leadership and membership had built the tower and the hedge, it would not matter the force of the enemy that was sent to destroy them. The enemy could not have penetrated the hedge and broke down the olive trees. Verse 51, and the enemy came by night and broke down the hedge. And the servants of the nobleman arose and were affrighted and fled. And the enemy destroyed their works and broke down the olive trees. Now behold, the nobleman, the Lord of the vineyard, called upon his servants and said unto them, Why? What is the cause of this great evil? Ought ye not to have done even as I commanded you? And after ye had planted the vineyard, built the hedge round about, and set watchmen upon the walls thereof, built the tower also, and set a watchman upon the tower, and watched my vineyard, and not have fallen asleep, lest the enemy should come upon you? And behold, the watchman upon the tower would have seen the enemy while he was yet afar off. But according to 1 Nephi 14, not only did they not see the enemy when the enemy was upon them, they joined with the enemy. And that's also the witness of Moroni in Ether chapter 8. And then ye could have made ready and kept the enemy from breaking down the hedge thereof and saved my vineyard from the hands of the destroyer. So that's the fall of Zion. Verse 55 is the reversal of circumstances. The coming on the scene of the end time servant, the return of Joseph Smith Jr. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, Joseph Smith Jr., go and gather together the residue of all my servants. Take all the strength of mine house, which are my warriors, my young men. They that are of middle age also among my servants who are the strength of mine house, save those only whom I have appointed to tarry. Therefore, get ye unto my land, break down the walls of mine enemies. Now we know who the enemies are. Or the filling of the pit by those who digged it. First Nephi 14. Throw down their tower, scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies. That by and by I may come with the residue of my house and possess the land. So verse 55 in DNC 101 is talking about the exact same period as we read in DNC 45 about the light breaking forth among them that sit in darkness when the time of the Gentiles would come in. 
And the time of the Gentiles ending is talked about in verses 65 and 66. We'll start in verse 64. That the work of the gathering together of my saints may continue. It continues first spiritually and second physically. First spiritually when the light breaks forth among them that sit in darkness. And it continues because it was cut short during Joseph Smith's first ministry. That I may build them up upon my name, up unto my name upon holy places. For the time of harvest is come and my word must needs be fulfilled. Therefore, I must gather together my people, the strength of my house, according to the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the wheat may be secured in the garners to possess eternal life, or to be gathered out physically on an end-time exodus, and be crowned with celestial glory when I shall come in the kingdom of my Father to reward every man according as his work shall be. In verse 66, while the tares shall be bound in bundles, their bands made strong, that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. And so, going back to DNC 124, verse 32. But behold, at the end of this appointment, your baptisms for your dead shall not be acceptable unto me. And if you do not these things at the end of the appointment, you shall stand rejected as a church with your dead, thus saith the Lord your God. But even in that state, the Lord didn't cast us off forever. We would remain for about 175 years in this darkness. But then the light breaks forth among them that sit in darkness, and it is the fullness of my gospel. Now, another quote. Regarding Phil, you're muted. Whoops. A quote from Lyman White regarding the prophecy given in DNC 124. We were to have a sufficient time to build that house during which time our baptisms for our dead should be acceptable in the river. If we did not build within this time, we were to be rejected as a church, we and our dead together. Both the temple and baptizing went very leisurely. So the temple was somewhere in building the second story when Brother Joseph from the stand announced the alarming declaration. The baptism for our dead was no longer acceptable in the river. As much to say that the time for building the temple had passed by and both we and our dead were rejected together. The church now stands rejected together with their dead. The church being rejected now stands alienated from her God in every sense of the word. So uh, again, that part of 
the of the wife who was married to Jehovah, who was unfaithful, who was put away in her youth. <clears throat> Going back to Isaiah chapter one, verse 28. How the faithful city has become a harlot. Okay, both ancient Israel under Moses and the Latter-day Saints under Joseph. She was filled with justice. A term for the end time servant in his first, in this verse, his first ministry. Righteousness, another term for the end time servant, again, in his first ministry. She was filled with justice. Righteousness made its abode in her, but now murderers. Your rulers are renegades. Cross-reference DNC 101. Your rulers are renegades and ether eight. Accomplices of robbers. With one accord, they love bribes and run after rewards. They do not dispense justice to the fatherless, nor do the widow's case come before them. Therefore, the Lord Jehovah of hosts, the valiant one of Israel, declares, Woe to them, I will relieve me of mine adversaries. Joseph and the end time servants, their return will take down the tower of the enemy and scatter their watchmen. Therefore, the Lord Jehovah of hosts, the valiant one of Israel, declares, Woe to them. I will relieve me of mine adversaries, avenge me of mine enemies. The exact same verbiage that we read about in DNC 101. I will restore my hand over you. Restore my hand. My hand being the end time servant. Restore because there was an original servant, Moses in Egypt. Then the end time servant in his first ministry. Then the end time servant in his second ministry, the end time servant in his second ministry is this restoring of my hand over you and smelt away your dross as in a crucible and remove all your alloy. As we read in DNC 101, this is the separation of the wheat and the tares, that the tares bands may be made strong, that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. but that the wheat might be gathered out for the end time exodus. Verse 26, I restore your judges as at the first. Okay, this restoration of judges. Again, back to DNC 101. Verse 55, the Lord said unto one of his servants, go and gather together the residue of my servants. This is the restoration of your judges as it was at first. We have another cross-reference in JST Matthew 21. JST Matthew 21. Verse 51. Verily I say unto you, I am the stone, and those wicked ones reject me. I am the head of the corner. These Jews shall fall upon me and shall be broken. Now, in the next verse, we have a transition 
from the wicked chief priests and Pharisees of Christ's day to the restoration of the gospel, both in Joseph Smith's first and second ministries, because there would, in fact, be two restorations of the gospel by Joseph. And the kingdom of God shall be taken from them, verse 53, in the chief priests and Pharisees of Christ's day, and shall be given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof, in parentheses it says, meaning the Gentiles. So we have just defined the term Gentiles as the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is going to be an important distinction when we get to verse 56. Wherefore, now, Christ is about to tell us those upon whom this stone, which he has declared himself to be, shall fall in the end times. First, he talks about ecclesiastical leadership and the transference of the ministry from the ecclesiastical leadership of the day in the end times to other husbandmen or the residue of the servants and Joseph Smith in DNC 101.55. And then in verse 56, we have the destruction of the members of the church exactly as is prophesied by Moroni in Ether chapter 8. Oh, you Latter-day Saints, if you suffer these things to be, great destruction shall come upon you. So verse 55, verse 54, wherefore on whomsoever this stone, Christ, shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. First leadership. And when the Lord thereof of the vineyard cometh, he will destroy those miserable, wicked men. The husbandman in the vineyard and will let again his vineyard unto other husbandmen, the end time servants who return with Joseph. Even in the last days, who shall render him the fruits in their seasons? Well, how do they render him the fruits in their seasons? Well, precisely as we read in DNC 45, that when Joseph Smith would return, would open again the heavens. This would mark the time of the Gentiles coming in and a light would break forth among them that sit in darkness. It would be the fullness of my gospel. Therefore, it would be possible again to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And as we discussed in DNC 84, this is the members of the church receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Or in other words, those members who receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost will not be destroyed in the abomination of desolation. Verse 56, and then understood they that they are Christ's 12 disciples or 12 apostles. The parable which he spake unto them that the Gentiles or Latter-day Saint people should be destroyed also, or all those among the Latter-day Saints who prove themselves to be tares. And proving themselves to be tares, meaning that they reject the fullness of the gospel, they reject the Lord's end-time servant, will not enter into the new covenant and offer up as a sacrifice the broken heart and contrite spirit and be willing to do anything required to receive this ordinance, which is the mystery of God, the power of godliness being manifest unto men in the flesh. That the Gentiles or Latter-day Saints should be destroyed also when the Lord should descend out of heaven to reign in his vineyard, which is the earth and the inhabitants thereof. So, back to Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 26. 
I will restore your judges as at the first. The first labors in the last kingdom. DNC 88, DNC 101. And your counselors as in the beginning. After this, you shall be called the city of righteousness, a faithful city. Well, this is the taking back the wife who was put away in her youth for adultery because she becomes righteous. She enters into the new covenant with her husband, Jehovah. And this time proves that she will be true and faithful to him, i.e., do what is required to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and enter into the Lord's rest. The city of righteousness, a faithful city, which is also the establishment of Mount Zion or New Jerusalem. And verse 27, for Zion shall be ransomed by justice, those of her who repent by righteousness. Or in other words, the strength of the Lord's house would be gathered out for spiritually and then physically by the servant and the servants who serve under him. And verse 28. But criminals and sinners shall be altogether shattered when those who forsake Jehovah are annihilated. This annihilation by Jehovah of God's covenant people is the binding of the tares that their bands may be made strong that they may be burnt with unquenchable fire, as we read in DNC 101. Now let's go to Isaiah 57. And in Isaiah 57, let's read verses 1 through 3. Or 3 through 13. As for you, come here, you children of the sorceress. Well, who are these children of the sorceress, offspring of adulterer and harlot? Well, this is this harlot, this adulteress, are those of God's people who rejected their God, both under Moses and under Joseph Smith's first ministry, and those of the Latter-day Saints who would reject him a second time in Joseph's second ministry. As for you, come here, you children of the sorceress, offspring of adulterer and harlot. At whose expense do you amuse yourselves? At whom do you open your mouth, open wide the mouth, and stick out the tongue? Surely you are born of sin, a spurious brood. At whose expense do you amuse yourselves? At whom do you open wide the mouth and stick out the tongue? Who burn with lust among the oaks, under every burgeoning tree, slayers of children in the gullies, under the crags of rocks? And if you happened to be on a question and answer when we did the interview with Asia, you know that this is not metaphorical or hyperbolic. Who burn with lust among the oaks under every burgeoning tree slays the children in the gullies. 
under the crags of rocks, among the slippery stones of the ravines, shall be your fate. They indeed are your lot. To them you pour out libations and make offerings. How shall I be appeased of such things? On a lofty mountain, you have made prominent your bed, and there you ascended to offer sacrifices. Behind doors and facades, you have put up your emblems. You have exposed yourself to others than I. Mounting your bed, you have laid it wide open, meaning your legs, meaning you have committed adultery against your husband, against your Lord, against your Redeemer and your God. You have rejected him and have gone whoring after other gods. And you bargain with those with whom you love to lie. Your hand on their nakedness. You bathe with oils for the king and increase your perfumes. You send your solicitors far abroad and debase yourselves to the depths. Though wearied by your excessive ways, you have not admitted despair. You have found livelihood and therefore have not slackened. Yet on whose account are you uneasy and apprehensive? You pretend and do not mention me nor even give me a thought. This is an indictment to the current Latter-day Saints. Is it because I have so long kept silent that you no longer fear me? But I will expose your fornication and the wantonness of your exploits. When you cry out in distress, let those who flock to you save you. A wind shall carry all of them off. A vapor shall take them away. But they who seek refuge in me shall possess the earth and receive an inheritance in my holy mountain. Okay, my holy mountain being Mount Zion, being New Jerusalem. Let's unpack this verse, verses 12 and 13. Behold, I will expose your fornication and the wantonness of your exploits. When you cry out in distress, let those who flock to you save you. Or in other words... Do you think the words of one who speaks not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, who tells you things like be good global citizens, the vaccine is proven to be safe and effective when he should have known every better than anyone else that there was no clinical data to show that the vaccine was safe and effective. In fact, exactly the opposite. See if that man in the day of your tribulation and destruction will save you. When you cry out in distress, let those who flock to you save you. A wind shall carry all of them off. A vapor shall take them away. Or in other words, the pit, First Nephi chapter 14, which was digged to destroy the Latter-day Saints, shall be filled with them who digged it. But they who seek refuge in me shall possess the earth. Or the wheat among the tares, who receive with gladness the doctrine of Christ, who will enter into the new and everlasting covenant, who will offer up as a sacrifice to broken heart and contrite spirits, who will do anything required to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Ghost, and then will continue to feast upon the words of Christ, that they might be instructed about how to enter into the rest of the Lord. These are they who seek refuge in Christ. 
They shall possess the earth. They shall be gathered out first spiritually and next physically. On the eve of destruction, shall participate in the end time exodus in the establishment of Zion. Shall be God's laborers to take the fullness of the gospel to the ends of the earth and gather Israel in final preparation for the return of Christ in his glory. And receive an inheritance in my holy mountain. Cross-reference DNC 88. Or DNC 84. Verse 1. A revelation of Jesus Christ unto his servant Joseph Smith Jr. And six elders as they united their hearts and lifted their voices on high. This is all about the return of Joseph. Yea, the word of the Lord concerning his church established in the last days for the restoration of his people. As has been spoken by the mouth of the prophets. And for the gathering of his saints to stand upon Mount Zion, which shall be the city of New Jerusalem. Which was not accomplished during Joseph Smith's first ministry, but shall be accomplished in his second. Verse 3, which city shall be built beginning at the temple lot. Which is appointed by the finger of the Lord in the western boundary of the state of Missouri. And dedicated by the hand of Joseph Smith Jr. and others with whom the Lord was well pleased. Just a note. The site of the future temple of New Jerusalem. Um, Joseph Smith was in attendance at that dedication of that lot. However, he was not the one who performed it, but he will be the one who performed that dedication when the temple of New Jerusalem is established. Verily, this is the word of the Lord that the city of New Jerusalem shall be built by the gathering of the saints beginning at this place, even the place of the temple, which temple shall be gathered in this generation, not the generation of Joseph Smith's first ministry, but in his second for verily this generation shall not pass away until a house shall be built unto the Lord and a cloud shall rest upon it. A cloud shall be even the glory of the Lord, which shall fill the house and the sons of Moses, according to the holy priesthood, which he received under the hand of his father, Jethro. And Jethro received it under the hand of Caleb. And so this priesthood being talked about is the first order of Melchizedek priesthood. The very order of Melchizedek priesthood that was taken from the saints in 1834, when we were demoted to the preparatory gospel, which the Lord offered in DNC 124 to restore to the saints in Nauvoo, but they would not, but is restored to the earth again during Joseph's second ministry. And Isaiah 54. Verse 2. Why don't we quickly recap verse 1. Seeing O barren woman who did not give birth. Okay. The context of this again is the woman who was married in her youth, who was unfaithful, who was put away, but who becomes faithful in the last days and who Christ takes back as a wife to him. Seeing O barren woman who did not give birth. Break into jubilant song you were not in labor. The children of the deserted wife shall outnumber those of the espoused, says Jehovah. This also has reference to that there will be 
a lesser percentage of Latter-day Saints who will make it than there will be of the rest of the House of Israel, the rest of the Christian world. Because where much is given, much is required. And no people have given, been given as much light and knowledge in the scriptures of the restoration as the Latter-day Saint people. Therefore, more is required of them than of any other people. And thus, we will have a lesser percentage of Latter-day Saints make it than percentages among all the other sects of people. But those who do make it of the Latter-day Saints will be the gatherers of Israel. Verse four, be not fearful for you shall not be confounded. This is the at one time unfaithful wife who returns or the people of Israel who when a light breaks forth among them who sit in darkness and it is the fullness of my gospel, receive it with gladness and enter into covenant and keep covenant with their Lord and God. Be not fearful for you shall not be confounded, be not ashamed. For you shall not be disgraced. You shall forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For he who espouses you is your maker, whose name is Jehovah of hosts. He who redeems you is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Now let's cross-reference Isaiah 35.10. The, ram the ransomed of Jehovah shall return. They shall come singing to Zion, their heads crowned with everlasting joy. They shall have one joy and gladness when sorrow and sighing flee away. And Isaiah 51. Verses 11 through 18. Let the ransomed of Jehovah return. Let them come singing to Zion, their heads crowned with everlasting joy. Let them obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing flee away. I myself am your comforter. I myself am your comforter. Having both reference to the first and second comforter. The first comforter being the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Which means... Receiving that greater endowment of the light of Christ, which light of Christ emanates from the body of Jesus Christ and fills all parts of the universe, which are terrestrial and is separated from the celestial part of the universe by a veil. And the man who officiates in the office of the Holy Ghost oversees that veil and that portion of terrestrial glory, which radiates from Christ's body that comes through and now penetrates every part of the telestial universe, except for outer darkness, is what we call the light of Christ. And that is what literally comes into us and we interact with. And therefore, literally, I myself am your comforter, both, both in the first comforter and also in the second, when he brings us into his rest, which rest is the fullness of his glory. And then he will teach us individually and personally I myself am your comfort. 
Who are you that you fear mortal man? The children of men who shall be turned to grass. Have you forgotten Jehovah, your maker? Who suspends the heavens? Who sets the earth in place? That you go all day in constant dread of the oppressor's rage. As he readies himself to wreak destruction, what is there to the wrath of the oppressor? This is talking specifically about the day when we come into physical bondage, which we have not yet come into, but which we are quickly approaching. When the saints of God will cry out night and day for deliverance, and it will be the final test. Are those who enter into covenant with their God, with their lips, also willing to wait upon the Lord, entering into covenant with him, with their hearts? Are they willing to remain true and faithful when the time of great tribulation arises? And it doesn't seem that there would be any way to survive, except without the direct divine intervention of the Savior. And if he has to send angels to preserve them, he will. If he has to send forth miracles that they may not be smitten down, he will. But only those who wait upon him. Have you forgotten Jehovah, your maker, who suspends the heavens, who sets the earth in place? That you go all day in constant dread of the oppressor's rage as he readies himself to wreak destruction? What is there to the wrath of the oppressor? Soon now shall he who bowed down, who is bowed down, be set free. Or God's covenant people who enter into and keep covenant with them. They will be delivered on the eve of destruction on an end time exodus, physically. Soon now shall he who is bowed down be set free. He shall not die as those destined for the pit. Neither shall he want for food. Verse 15. It is I, Jehovah, your God, whose name is Jehovah of hosts, who stir up the sea so that its waves roar. A metaphor for the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, that entity who becomes the staff in the Lord's left hand during the last days who amasses to himself all political, economic, and military power and destroys the entire world, except for those whom Jehovah saves. It is I, Jehovah, your God, whose name is Jehovah of hosts, who stir up the sea so that its waves roar. I will put my words in your mouth and shelter you in the shadow of my hand while I replant the heavens and set the earth in place that I may say to Zion, you are my people. I will put my words in your mouth and shelter you in the shadow of my hand. My mouth being the Lord's end time servant, the shadow of my hand, you know, again, being the Lord's end time servant. And this having a double meaning. I will put my words in your mouth. Well, as you seek after and receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, you will speak with the tongue of angels. And so my people will literally speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And so will the end time servant who becomes Jehovah's mouthpiece and will shelter you in the shadow of my hand. Or in other words, in relation to God's people, 
I will gather you out on the eve of destruction. And before the eve of destruction, if you will trust in me, I will provide sufficient that you will not be destroyed. But also, in Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah 49. Verse 1. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from afar. The Lord hath called me from the womb. This is the end time servant speaking. Joseph in his second ministry. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft in his quiver. Hath he hid me and said unto me, thou art my servant. So a quote from his to the church. Volume five, page 401. Thus, I will become a smooth, polished shaft in the quiver of the almighty. Going back to Isaiah 49, verse 2. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. Sword In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me. And made me a polished shaft in his quiver hath he hid me. And said unto me, thou art my servant. Again, History of the Church, volume 5, page 401. Thus I will become a smooth and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty. Who will give me dominion over all and every one of them, mine enemies, when the refuge of lies shall fail. Well, this certainly didn't happen during Joseph Smith's first ministry. It does happen during his second. And their hiding places shall be destroyed. While these smooth polished stones with which I come into contact shall be marred. So back to Isaiah 51. I will put my words in your mouth, verse 16, and shelter you in the shadow of my hand. Both having application to the end time servant and to God's covenant people who enter into and keep covenant with him. While I replanted the heavens and set the earth in place, that I may say to Zion, you are my people. And I am your God. Rouse yourself, awake and rise up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from Jehovah's hand the cup of his wrath, drinking to the dregs the bowl of stupor. There was none to guide her among all the children she bore, none to take her by the hand of all the sons she reared. Or in other words, it will not. The end time servant will not come among current LDS church leadership. And it will not be current LDS church leadership that will cause the break forth or the light to break forth among them that sit in darkness and save God's people. Or again, verse 18, there was none to guide her 
among all the children she bore, none to take her by the hand of all the sons she reared. Talking about the LDS establishment. And therefore, I have to send my end time servant to come on the scene from outside that establishment. The one mighty and strong who will set in order the Lord's house for the last time. Back in Isaiah 45. Verse 5. For he who espouses you, your maker, whose name is Jehovah, Jehovah of hosts. Again, this is the wheat among the strength of the Lord's house. He who redeems you is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Jehovah calls you back as a spouse forsaken and forlorn. A wife married youth in youth only to be rejected, says your God. I forsook you indeed momentarily, but with loving compassion, I will gather you up. In fleeting exasperation, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting charity, I will have compassion on you, says Jehovah, who redeems you. Most of us grew up and spent most of our lives living um, when the heavens were closed before the light broke forth among them that sat in darkness. But those who sought to hearken unto that portion of the light of Christ that they had access to, it was only a matter of time before the fullness of the gospel would be presented to them that if they would, they might enter into that covenant with their God, whereby they might become his people and him, their God. This is to me as in the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah, this is verse 9, DNC 54, Isaiah 54. This is to me as in the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would no more flood the earth. So I swear to have no more anger toward you, never again to rebuke you. For the mountains shall be removed and the hills collapse with shaking but my charity toward you shall never be removed, nor my covenant of peace be shaken, says Jehovah, who has compassion on you. Poor wretch, tempest-tossed and disconsolate, I will lay antimony for your building stones and sapphires for your foundations. I will make your skylights of jacinth, your gates of carbuncle, and your entire boundary of precious stone. Those who gather into mobs are not of me. Whoever masses against you shall fall because of you. Who, who shall fall because of you. Let's go to Helaman, chapter 10. For just like Moses, before he was commanded to go before Pharaoh, had the second order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon him, and thus had power to command the elements. So too does the end time servant have the second order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon him before he goes or before he comes on the scene. And, you know, as we have talked about previously, that sealing of the second order of Melchizedek priesthood is when a man becomes a king and a priest unto the Most High God. And that sealing, 
that coronation ceremony of the end time servant occurs at that meeting Adam on Dayam, when all of those who have held dispensational keys from Adam down to Joseph Smith assemble, they return their keys back to father. Father then gives all the keys that ever did and will pertain to this earth, to Jesus Christ. And then Christ gives keys to those who will need them for the roles that they have to play in the winding up scenes, i.e. John the Revelator and Joseph Smith Jr. And that is his coronation ceremony. Not only Christ, but also his servant. And that's why the mobs will not be able to prevail when they amass against you as the end time exodus commences. Helaman chapter 10. So this is the very thing that happens to Joseph at Adam on Diamond. But this account is happening to Nephi, the brother of Lehi. Helaman 10, three quarters of the way through verse three. And it came to pass that as he was thus pondering in his heart, behold, a voice came unto him saying, this voice is the voice of father, who is the one who seals by the calling of his own voice, JST Genesis 14, the second order of the Melchizedek priesthood. Blessed art thou, Nephi, for those things which thou hast done. For I have beheld how thou hast with unweariness declared my word, which I have given unto thee, unto this people, and thou hast not feared them. And has not sought thine own life, but has sought my will and to keep my commandments. And now, because thou hast done this with such unweariness, behold, I will bless thee forever, and I will make thee mighty in word and in deed, in faith and in works, yea, even that all things shall be done. Unto thee, according to thy word, for thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. Behold, thou art Nephi, and I am God. Behold, I declare it unto thee in the presence of my angels that ye shall have power over this people and shall smite the earth with famine and with pestilence and destruction according to the wickedness of this people. Behold, I give unto your power that whatsoever you shall seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven and thus shall have power among this people. And if you shall say unto this temple, it shall be rent in twain, it shall be done, which is coming. And if you shall say unto this mountain, be thou cast down and become smooth, it shall be done. And behold, if you shall say that God shall smite this people, it shall come to pass. And now behold, I command you <coughs> that ye shall go and declare unto the people that thus saith the Lord your God, who is the Almighty, except ye repent, ye shall be smitten even unto destruction. Let's cross-reference Isaiah 62, verses 10 through 12. Pass on, go through gates, prepare the way for the people, excavate, pave a highway cleared of stones, raise the ensign to the nations. The ensign to the nations in this instance is the Lord's end-time servant having been endowed with power and authority, even to command the elements. And thus he is able to prepare the way for the people and clear a way for their deliverance, even the end time exodus. Verse 11, Jehovah has made proclamation to the end of the earth. Tell the daughter of Zion, see your salvation comes. 
salvation being a metaphor for Jesus Christ himself, his reward with him, his work preceding him. The work of Jehovah is accomplished by his end time servant in opening the heavens and again declaring the doctrine of Christ, gathering out the strength of the Lord's house physically and leading them on an end time exodus to establish new Jerusalem. And back in Isaiah 54, verse 15, those who gather into mobs are not of me. Whoever masses against you shall fall because of you. It is I who create the smith who fans the flaming coals, forging weapons to suit his purpose. It is I who create the ravenger to destroy. Okay, this smith who fans the flaming coals, you know, is the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And he is only able to accomplish his work of destruction because the Lord allows it. Because the people of the whole earth have come into such a level of wickedness that just like the people in the days of Noah, they qualify for destruction. Verse 17, whatever weapon is devised against you, it shall not succeed. Every tongue that rises to accuse you, you shall refute. This is the heritage of the servants of Jehovah. And such is their vindication by me, says Jehovah. So in conclusion, a light indeed has broken forth among them that sit in darkness. And it is the doctrine of Christ. It is the fullness of the gospel. The end time servant has indeed returned. He has not yet come on the scene, but he has opened again the heavens. It is again possible by offering up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit, placing everything upon the altar and seeking after and receiving revelation about what God would have us do individually to offer up the sacrifice of broken heart and contrite spirit. We can receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. We can become sons and daughters of Christ. We can reach that level where we might be instructed about how to part the veil and enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory. We can, by hearkening to the voice of the Spirit, qualify as the strength of the Lord's house in preparation to that physical gathering, which is quickly coming upon us. But physical bondage must first come upon us. And those who will wait upon their Lord will be provided for and will be delivered on the eve of destruction. The end time exodus will commence. The fullness of the gospel will go forth to the Lamanites and the Gentile nation, even North America. And God's people gathered out. New Jerusalem will be established. And under Joseph's direction, men will be sent out to the four corners of the earth to finish the gathering of Israel, to bring them to Zion or to New Jerusalem, including to the Jews, that the separation of wheat and tares might be accomplished among the Jews, that old Jerusalem might again be built up a holy city, that a temple might again be established there, that then the fullness of the gospel might go to the heathen nations, that they might be redeemed in final preparation for the return of Christ in his glory. And all of these things will be accomplished in the generation in which we now live. I bear my witness in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.